So uh, bow with me in prayer as we uh, surrender the offering to the Lord. And then after the offering, I ask the men to come uh, receive that offering. And then let me also mention, you know, the flowers have been placed here in honor of Charlie Williams uh, by his wife, Kathy. And uh, you all know how Charlie ministered to us so beautifully for so many years uh, with his gift of song. And uh, there was one particular song that was identified with him that he owned, and it was what? My Anchor Holds. And uh, Andy's going to come sing that after I pray. And I know we'll be blessed. Father, uh, how could we ever thank you for your love? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And thank you that you do love us with a love that will uh, pursue us to the very depths of our sin and despair and anguish. And your love rescues us out of that pit of darkness that we could never uh, get out of ourselves. And you uh, change our hearts. You change our lives. You give us a new song. You give us your joy, peace, love, light. And Father, we just thank you for your wonderful, wonderful uh, grace and the wonderful love of Jesus. And it's that grace, it's that love that motivates us to give now, uh, to give, to express our love to you, our appreciation for what you did for us, and then a desire to see others locally and globally uh, come to know that loving touch and transforming power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we surrender these gifts to you, that you would use them to accomplish uh, that purpose, and we'll trust you for it, for it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. have journeyed through the long dark night out on the open sea by faith alone Sigh. I've had visions 
and I've had dreams, and I've even held them in my hands, but I never knew they would slip right through. Like they were only grains of sand, the anchor old. Though the ship is battered, the anchor holds. Though the sails are torn. But it was in the night, and through the storms of my life. Oh, that's where God proved His love to me. The anchor holds, though the ship. Is battered. The anchor old, though the sails are torn, and I am falling on my knees as I pray. I do think he had the spirit of Charlie on him, didn't he? Um, 
course, they both share the Holy Spirit, and that's what ministers. Uh, you know, we've been in a study of the uh, book of uh, Hebrews, and uh, as uh, Andy was singing, oh yes, thank you. I see him waving at me. I'm saying, why are they waving at me? And then I realize I have not dismissed the children for uh, kids' praise on. Forgive me, boys and girls. I should have already done that before the offertory prayer. So we will dismiss our children right now for Kids' Praise Zone, our children's worship. If you are a guest and you have a child, they are more than welcome to participate. Simply release your child to the vestibule. The uh, leadership pick them up right out there, and they go directly below us. And then you would pick up your child there when we conclude, and we'll be glad to direct you there. But we've been in a study of the book of Hebrews, and as Andy was singing, I don't know if you remember, but uh, the end of uh, chapter 6, we read, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered our forerunner. Isn't that a beautiful thought? We have an anchor of the soul. That is our hope. But the difference in our anchor is what? It's not anchored down. It's anchored what? Up. Up in heaven, uh, where uh, we are secure uh, with Jesus. Well, I hope you picked up a, a copy of the uh, sermon uh, notes. Uh, we, uh, our study of the book of Hebrews has taken us uh, uh, just last Sunday into the 11th chapter, of course, this great hall of fame of faith. And if you look at your sermon notes, you'll notice the first side is merely a review of what we covered uh, last Sunday, and then the uh, uh, second side will be the new material for today. But I did think it was important for us to review what we looked at uh, last Sunday, which provided for us a foundation as we move into this uh, wonderful uh, chapter 11. So let's look at the review. Uh, First, we uh, uh, looked at an introduction uh, to Hebrews 11 to see the context in which it is found. And we saw that Hebrews 10, verses 35 through 39, uh, the last verses of chapter 10, provide an uh, uh, admonition uh, not to shrink back from Christ in times of adversity, but to remain faithful to Christ, confident that He will fulfill His promises and reward faith. And we saw that Hebrews 10, verses 35 through 39, is the hinge upon which chapter 11 swings open to give these uh, wonderful examples of people whose faith did not shrink back in difficulty and adversity and suffering, but they endured that trial and adversity resulting in God's approval. So, uh, open your Bibles there. Let's, again, just refresh ourselves. Let's read those verses once again, because they're such important verses setting up chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 35. And, And before I read, let us remind ourselves of the situation that these Hebrew Christians were in. They were in a time of intense persecution, Nero's persecution that began in 64 A.D., And this persecution not only involved uh, imprisonment, but torture, uh, martyrdom. It was a very difficult, hard time uh, for believers. And remember, these Hebrew believers were struggling with that persecution. They had been through Claudius' persecution 15 years earlier, and they had stood that test very well. Uh, But now, 15 years later, uh, a greater, more intense persecution 
they had apparently grown comfortable and a little apathetic in their faith, and they began to crumble. And they began to retreat uh, from the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, they were tempted to return to their old Judaism, which they felt was much safer and much more secure. And, of course, the book of Hebrews was written to encourage these believers suffering this persecution to endure for Jesus, to maintain their faith and their obedience, knowing that their reward will be great. But we read in verse 35, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great Reward, Of course, your confidence in God that's speaking of. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance. And that was their greatest need. That is our greatest need today, endurance in the midst of trial and tribulation. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those whose faith, uh, ha- who have faith to the persevering of the soul. Now again, return to your notes. Look at how we defined shrinking back. To shrink back is synonymous with retreating from Christ through unbelief. That Hebrews 3 passage is a, a key Uh, to interpreting the book of Hebrews is the example of the children of Israel who had been delivered by God from slavery out of Egypt. He intended, after delivering them from slavery, to get them where? Into the promised land. But when they came to Kadesh Barnea, what was right at the edge of the promised land, and when God told them to advance, you remember what they did? They began to shrink back. They began to retreat in fear and anxiety, unwilling to put their trust and their confidence in God. And this is the same thing these Hebrew Christians were tempted to do in their present circumstances. And it's what we're tempted to do often in adversity and trial. And then continue there in the notes, at the beginning of adversity, of course, my faith is tested. In the middle of the adversity, faith is strengthened through endurance, and at the end, it is rewarded by God. And we see that process in James chapter 1. It says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials and tribulations. Why would I count it joy falling into trials and tribulations and difficulty? He says, because the testing of your faith produces something. What does it produce? Endurance. And he says, let that that endurance have its perfect work that you might be complete and entire, lacking in nothing. And then you go down to verse 12, and he says, blessed is the man who then perseveres, who does endure the trial, because when he has been approved by God, he will receive the crown of life, abundant life here and eternal life later. But it's during the middle of the adversity, Returning to the notes, it's during the middle of the adversity, that waiting period, that faith comes under the greatest challenge. Uh, Will I continue to trust and obey God, confident He will fulfill His promises? Or will I shrink back in unbelief to be defeated by doubt, anxiety, panic, and pessimism? And then, there at the end of chapter 10... We saw a great example of these Hebrew Christians when they went through the first persecution uh, under Claudius' reign uh, over against when they shrank back in Nero. And you see their past faith, which is delineated in uh, verses 32 through 34, 
that in that time of persecution, they demonstrated a faith that endured great conflict. They had a hope in Christ that suffered loss joyfully. Remember, it says that many of them had been imprisoned. Uh, many of them had had their property uh, taken from them. They lost all of their material uh, goods. Uh, you listen to this, Andy. Maybe this will encourage you in your recent loss. And yet they joyfully uh, uh, received that, uh, that, that adversity, knowing they had a better possession, an abiding one in heaven. And then they had a love that took great risk. Uh, they were willing to identify with their brothers and sisters uh, who were, had been imprisoned at the great risk of their own souls. But now the present shrinking. Uh, Fifteen years had gone by. Uh, they had uh, become comfortable again. They had begun to increase their standard of living, became somewhat complacent in their walk with God, apathetic. Remember we saw in chapter 5, the writer said, you've become dull of hearing. You, you've become hearers now, but not doers of God's Word. They'd actually regressed into spiritual immaturity. And now we see a faith compromised by fear, hope diminished by doubt, and a love eroded by self-interest. And then we noted that God takes no pleasure in those who shrink back in faith. 38b says that very clearly. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Uh, therefore, we need to know how to cure this problem. And what's the answer? It's faith. And that thrust us into chapter 11, this great chapter on faith, uh, this great hall of fame of faith. But again, it's so important not to yank this chapter out of its context, to see the purpose of this chapter is to encourage these Hebrew Christians in their persecution to remain faithful. And it's here to encourage you and I to remain faithful when we suffer adversity and trial and difficulty. So last week we defined faith. And we saw that faith is the certainty and confidence that God will fulfill His promises, which provides the strength to live for Christ today, in spite of what may appear to be impossible circumstances or frightening consequences. And we see that in Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. In other words, what's being hoped for that's not being seen? It's the fulfillment of God's promise. In other words, they're in the middle of the adversity. They've entered the test, but they haven't seen yet the fulfillment of God's promise. So again, are they going to shrink back in faith, or are they going to maintain their confidence in God to find the strength to live today, despite the circumstances that they're in, because they know that God will come through. Look at the word assurance there in your notes. It literally means to stand under and often refers to a foundation that undergirds a building or to a title deed that documents ownership. Faith in God, as we saw last week, provides the only unshakable foundation to stand on in life. And faith is our title deed guaranteeing possession of all that God is and that He has for us. It's through faith that we appropriate God's promises. It's through faith that we appropriate His gifts and His grace. The word conviction carries the truth a bit further because it implies an outward response of obedience to the inner trust in God. And faith in its very essence is trusting obedience in God. That is the heart of faith. 
trusting obedience. It's uh, two sides of one coin. I put my trust on God and I demonstrate that trust by obeying Him even in the most difficult of circumstances. And then we ended last week uh, by this sort of uh, question to provide a spiritual inventory of our lives. How can I measure my spiritual life and growth? By watching my response to adversity. Do I face the test? Do I face that adversity with joy and faith, knowing God will be true to His promises? Or do I shrink back in unbelief, pessimism, and panic? Okay, now we move into the uh, new material. That's review. And now from this point on, uh, new material. And I've entitled today's message, Faith Is. And uh, our focus will be on the first uh, seven chapters of uh, chapter 11. And as we, of course, move through Hebrews 11, which I've already mentioned, is known as the Hall of Fame of Faith, the author will give us 20 examples uh, of faith out of the Old Testament. You have uh, three examples from the uh, pre-flood era. Uh, That's Abel, Enoch, and Noah. And we'll briefly look at those three examples today. And then we have six examples from the patriarchal era, Abraham, Sarah, Abraham a second time, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And then three, we have three uh, from the Exodus period, Moses, the Israelites, and Rahab. We have seven from the uh, period of time where you have the judges and the kings, and that is Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. And then the final, the 20th example, are the uh, martyrs. Uh, from all those various uh, periods of time that maintain their trust in God, even to the point of death. And what I want us to begin doing is, is looking at the characteristics of faith. I want us to see three characteristics of faith. Again, we're just laying a foundation. Three characteristics of faith, three common denominators, which are seen in all 20 examples of faith that are given to us in chapter 11. And the first characteristic is faith is confidence in God. We keep coming back to this. We emphasized this last week. We need to emphasize it again. Faith is confidence in God. Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is the assurance or the confidence of things hoped for. Hebrews 10.35 says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. It's talking about your confidence in God, which has great reward. As we saw earlier in our definition of faith, faith is the assurance... God will fulfill His promises in our lives. Faith is the confidence that God is at work in us now and will be at work in us in the future. And as we move through Hebrews 11, one of the common denominators in every example of faith is confidence in God to keep His Word, to keep His promise, even when the immediate circumstances appear to be to the contrary. And it's crucial for us to see what is the basis of that confidence. And here it is. It is not complicated. It's, just, it's so simple that a child can understand. The ability to have confidence in the promise lies in your knowledge of the promiser. Your ability to have confidence in the promise lies in your knowledge of the promiser. Isn't this true in all human relations? Who do you trust? Who do you have confidence in in life in terms of human relationship? It's those who have demonstrated that they are what? Worthy 
of your trust through life circumstances and experiences. You've had the opportunity to observe them and to walk with them. And they have demonstrated to you that you can trust them because when crunch time came, they've stepped to the plate and they've maintained their uh, relationship with you and, uh, and you know that you can uh, trust them. See, it's, it's important to understand that God uses trials and adversities in our life to build up our faith and our confidence in Him. Faith, look at faith like a muscle that needs to be worked out. And if it's not worked out, it's going to become what? Very soft and very flabby. So what God does, He uses the stress and the endurance of trials to build up our, our faith, to give us strong faith muscles. See, it's, it's through those trials, through that stress of the endurance, that we become broken, that we see just how desperate just how dependent we are on God, which then drives us to God to lean on Him. And as we lean on Him, we find a wonderful intimacy with Him. Uh, uh, again, didn't we see that in James 1? Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials and tribulations, knowing that the testing of your faith works what? Endurance. See, that endurance, the stress of the trial, produces that strength. And he says, and let endurance have its perfect work that you might become complete and entire, lacking in nothing. Let me just uh, show you a couple of examples. Uh, look at all over at Romans 4. We'll, we'll leave the uh, Hebrews and we'll look at a couple of examples outside. This first example is of Abraham. And we'll actually look at this a little bit later in our study of the book of Hebrews uh, where here the focus is on Abraham, and uh, in, in, on this particular occasion, the focus in Hebrews 11 is on Sarah. But look at he, Hebrew, I mean, I'm sorry, Romans 4, look at verse 17. As it is written, a father of many nations I, I have made you. That's the promise that God gave to Abraham, that he would be the father of many nations. The only problem was he was what? Childless. He says, in the sight of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being what does not exist. Now notice, here's an example of faith under stress in adversity and trial. He says, in hope, against hope, he, Abraham, believed in order that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated he looked at his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. How old was Sarah? 90 years old. It was a human impossibility for them to conceive. Yet with respect to the promise of God, don't miss this, yet with respect to the promise of God, he, Abraham, did not waver in unbelief. But he grew what? Strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what he had promised, he was what? Able also to perform. Do you see that? His ability to believe in the promise that God gave him lied in his knowledge of God the promiser. Because Abraham had been walking with God. Remember, he stepped out in faith, left the, uh, his uh, homeland, 
not knowing where he was going in obedience to God. So there were a lot of opportunities prior to this where he, he had learned to put his trust in God, where his faith muscles had begun to be built up. And then God continued to use this trial to, to build him. Look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me give you a great example out of Paul's life, how God used his adversity uh, to drive us to him, to come to know him, that we might place our confidence in him, that we might have a greater faith as we move forward. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, the Apostle Paul wrote, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. So here's the Apostle Paul serving God in the middle of God's will, and he said, an adversity came into my life that burdened me excessively. It was beyond my ability to cope with it, he says. He says, I even despaired of life. I thought it was over, that the sentence of death had been written upon me. But notice he gives the reason God allowed him to go through that. He says, indeed, verse 9, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Amen? Who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope, and He will yet deliver us. So two great examples where you see God using adversity and the trial of that adversity to build up faith, to teach us not to trust in ourselves, but to put our trust in God. Now, if we go back to the failure of the children of Israel in obeying God by moving forward into the promised land, there, there's so much that we can learn from their mistakes. Uh, turn over to uh, Psalm 78. Here's a good cross-reference, Psalm 78. Again, you remember Hebrews 3 and 4, that was the whole focus of those two chapters. Uh, the children of Israel, how they, were, they did not place their faith in God, they shrunk back when crunch time came, and they missed the blessing of the promised land that God had intended to give them. And we see what, what was at the heart of their failure in this passage out of Psalm 78. Look at Psalm 78, let's just begin reading at verse 5, we'll go through verse 8. It says, For he, God, established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. So you see those two things, confidence, faith, and obedience. And not like their fathers. Okay, here he's talking about that generation at Kadesh Barnea. A stubborn and rebellious generation. Don't miss this. A generation that did not prepare its heart. And whose spirit was not faithful to God. In other words, what was at the heart of their failure? They did not prepare their hearts. They did not receive God's word. In humility. They did not put their trust in God's word. And as a result of that, they failed God in unbelief and missed the blessing that he had for them. So the first characteristic of faith that we're going to see in every, all 20 examples is, is this just unshakable confidence in God in the most difficult of circumstances. The second characteristic there in your notes 
is faith is focusing on the unseen. Faith is focusing on the unseen. The ability to envision God, vision what God will make visible in the future, which produces hope beyond the sufferings and restrictions of the present. Now, folks, if there is one characteristic of faith that I think is highlighted more than any other in this chapter, it's right here. This is the primary focus of Hebrews 11, that faith is focusing on the unseen. It's the ability to envision what God will make visible in the future. And we're talking about the, what, fulfillment of His promises, which produces hope right now beyond the present sufferings, beyond the present restrictions that have been brought to my life as a result of that adversity, as a result of that suffering. Hebrews 11.1b again, now faith is conviction of things not seen. Why did the children of Israel fail to put their trust in God at Kadesh Barnea? Because of what? Unbelief. Because of unbelief. Hebrews 3.9 tells us that. It was because of unbelief that they were not able to enter the promised land. In other words, don't miss this. They gave more weight to an enemy they could see than a God who they could not see. That was at the heart of their problem. They gave more weight to an enemy, to their circumstances that they could readily see while not putting their confidence in the unseen God and His power. Despite the miracles God performed to win their freedom, these ex-slaves were unwilling to place their faith, unwilling to place their confidence in God when crunch time came. And the writer sums up the problem in Hebrews 4, 2. It says, they did not unite God's Word with faith. They heard it. They heard the promise. But they did not unite it with faith. They did not put their confidence in God to the point where they were willing to step out in obedience. Bottom line, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, but not yet realized, which calls for having confidence in the unseen. Look at that great example, and we'll touch on this uh, in much greater detail when we get there. But here's one great example out of Hebrews 11. The example of Moses is by faith Moses. When he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In other words, Egypt was the world empire of that day. He was a prince of Egypt. Bottom line, if you could see it, if you could touch it, he could have it. Untold wealth, untold pleasures, just by the snap of his fingers. But notice, it says, he chose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Why? Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Why? Because he was looking to the reward. Could he see the reward? No. It was unseen. It was invisible. Could he see God? No. But God was there. And God was at work. And so because he put his faith in an unseen God, because he put his confidence in God's promise that if he would trust and obey, there would be a great reward for him at the end of the road. He was willing to turn his back on Egypt, turn his back on the pleasures of sin, turn his back on materialism, and suffer with the people of God. And also suffer at the hands of the people of God, if you're familiar with his life's uh, story. Uh, and listen... 
If there's one thing we learn about faith in Hebrews 11, here it is. Don't miss this. If there's one thing we learn about faith in Hebrews 11, here it is. Faith is not only looking back to believe the record about Christ. Faith is not just looking back to place your faith in what Jesus did in, back in history. Through His birth, His life, His death, His resurrection. That is an aspect of faith. But that is not the aspect that is emphasized here in Hebrews 11. It is not. Here in Hebrews 11, faith is possessing a vision of realities not yet experienced. Realities that are rooted in God's promises. Faith lives in the hope that the best is ahead and keeps reaching for it. And that is why those who walk in faith, they, just do not, they not only look back to believe something in history, these are folks that are making history. These are folks that are making a difference in this world for the glory of God because of their willingness to place their confidence in a God to put their trust that He's going to fulfill promise, things they can't see right now, that gives them the strength to live for Christ today and to go forward. Uh, Dr. J. Oswald Sanders put it very well. Uh, look at that quote there in your notes. Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible is seen. Look at the third characteristic of faith that we'll see in all 20 examples here in Hebrews 11. Faith is pleasing to God. It's faith that pleases God. Without faith, you cannot please God. Uh, Hebrews 1, 2 says, For by faith the men of old gained approval. And then Hebrews 1, 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. And again, I think I alluded to this last week. This should not be hard for us to understand. Again, put it on the realm of human relationships. I shared last week, what would devastate me as a father more than anything else? For one of my children to look in my face and say, Daddy, you know, I just don't think I can trust you anymore. You know, I, I just don't think you're going to keep your word. See, that would hurt me more than what, what brings me the greatest joy is when I know my children can trust me. When they see me as a man of integrity. And they say, Daddy's giving us an example worth what? Following. We've got God the Father is no different. He wants His children to trust Him. He wants us to demonstrate that we believe He is a God of integrity that will keep His Word. But when we shrink back in unbelief, in times of adversity, in times of trial, in essence, whether we realize it or not, we're looking up at God our Father and we're saying... You know, I just don't think I can trust you. You know, I know you meant well in what you wrote right here, what you've given us in your body. I just don't think you can pull it off in this circumstance. That's exactly what we're saying to God. And that's why, again, if you go back to the example of the children of Israel, and you go back to Psalm 106, it uses this expression that as a result of their faith and their unbelief, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's just striking. It says, they pained the Holy One of Israel. They pained the Holy One of Israel. They grieved. They broke the heart 
of God. So that's why without faith it's impossible to please Him. Faith is the only way to come to God by trusting, placing integrity in His Word. Now look at the steps of faith. My time is going very, very quickly, so we need to move through this latter part. And uh, 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, for he comes to God and must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now folks, you can't make this complicated. You can't. Faith is not complicated. It is so simple, again, a child could understand. Look, there are three fundamental steps in faith. Look at the first one. I come to God. I come to God. And I come to God implies what? Dependence upon God. Surrender to God. I come to Him, realizing that I'm dependent on Him. What's the second step? I believe in God. He who comes to God must believe that He is. I believe God is there. And that implies what? The assurance that God is real. He's not a figment of my imagination. God is real. And I have that assurance. And then the third step of faith is I count on God to keep His Word. We're back to confidence that God rewards our trust. When we believe He's a God of integrity, and we know that we can lean upon Him. So those are the three steps of faith. It's not any more complicated than that. I come to God believing He's really there, and believing He's really there, and He's a God of integrity, I've got confidence, and I'm counting on Him to keep His promise, despite what my circumstances might look like, and despite what the consequences of my obedience might be. I mean, these Hebrew Christians, they were confronted with the consequences of obedience, which would mean what? Imprisonment, torture, death. Do you know what Nero was doing with Christians at this time? He was using them as torches in his garden as he threw his social parties. They would put them on poles, they would cover them with oil, and they would light them up. That's what they were facing during Nero's day. Yet he's saying... Even in that, you can come to God because He really is there. And you can be confident that no matter what circumstance you face, no matter what consequence comes to you, God's going to reward you. And the greater the suffering, the greater the trust, the greater the reward. And so, yes, you may die. Yes, you may become a martyr, but instant death means instant glory. And these, as it says in 2 Corinthians 4, these present temporary trials and sufferings. They are just producing for us an eternal weight of glory. What? Far beyond all comparison. Far beyond all comparison. And then look at examples of faith. Examples of faith as we uh, close. Uh, First, there's creation. Go back to Hebrews chapter 11. First, there is uh, creation in uh, in, uh, verse 3. In verse 3, and that reads... By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. And I just tried to put this in a succinct, simple way for you there in your notes. Faith witnesses to the invisible fingerprints of God on all creation. That's it. Faith gives you the ability as you place your confidence in God. Yes, He is invisible. 
We see this world that has been created, but we see God's fingerprints. Faith enables you to see God's fingerprints all over this world. I mean, you come to this creation and you realize there is order. There is design. We come to this creation and we see that man is different than other forms of life. That he has, he's able to dream, he's, a, he's able to have ambition, he's able to be creative, he's able to construct and so we, we, we see the wonderful design in creation. We see the uniqueness of man. And you come to that. And, and you realize there can be only one plausible answer. There must be a personal creator who created with the design. Who created man unique in his image. Because the only other alternative is what? It's just a matter of time plus chance and pop this all Poofed out. Uh, good cross-reference, uh, Romans 12. I'm sorry, Rome, yeah, uh, Romans 1. Romans 1. Uh, most of you are familiar with this verse. It says, listen, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood, notice the connection, to Hebrews 11, 7, that word understand. It says, by faith we understand. And he says, we have, uh, have been clearly, uh, his power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. So again, faith enables us to see God's fingerprints all over creation, and therefore we can boldly, we can testify that God is creator. Faith is not a blind leap of faith that abandons reason. No, faith is the only thing that is rational. That is reasonable when you look at the alternatives that are out there. Look at Abel, uh, his example, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Now, folks, there are a lot of things that can be said about this. And you know the uh, story of uh, Cain and Abel, how uh, God apparently had commanded a blood sacrifice Abel brought that blood sacrifice. Cain did not. He brought the work of his hands, uh, the produce of his hands. And so the, the, here's the truth that we see here. that When you boil it down to its essence, faith worships on God's terms. Faith worships on God's terms. We just talked about a minute ago, the essence of faith is what? The first step is coming to God, but you have to come to God on His terms. And that's what we learn with the example of Abel. Sincerity is not the key. You may be sincere. The question is, who is the object of your faith, and are you coming to God on His terms? And God says, you come what? Through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. You don't come on the basis of your works and your efforts to gain His approval. You put your trust in Jesus, who died for your sin, died for the penalty of your sin, canceled out your sin debt, imputed His righteousness to you, which is a gift of faith. So faith worships on God's terms. What do we see in Enoch? Look at uh, verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Now we don't know a lot about Enoch. Enoch. We know uh, in the book of Jude what his public ministry was. He was a preacher. A preacher of righteousness in a very wicked, evil generation. Wickedness and evil was all around this man. And yet he stood in a righteous fashion 
and, and didn't retreat. He didn't shrink back. He stood alone from God, and he proclaimed. He became a witness of God's power and holiness and his might, trying to bring conviction to the generation he lived in. And then when you go to Genesis 5, we learn a little bit about his private life. Is when he had his son Methuselah that it says he began to walk with God. And uh, I find that interesting. I've, I've noticed over the years how a lot of young men, God grabs hold of their lives when they begin having children, when they realize that responsibility. And they got to really step to the plate. And they got to provide that child a, an example worth following. And maybe that happened in Enoch's life when he had his, uh, he had his son, when he realized, hey, I, I, I got to get serious with this matter of my relationship with God and, and give my son something worth living for. Uh, give my, create in my child a hunger and a thirst for God because there he's going to find true life and true reward. So what do we learn from Enoch? Faith walks for God's pleasure. That's what we see. Faith walks for God's pleasure. It's not about me. It's about God. And that's what faith leads you to. It leads you to embrace God and His agenda for your life as you submit to His authority. You know, a lot of people try to make faith something where you determine what you want, and you can get it. Almost like, you know, God and faith become a, 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 a genie that pops out of a lamp to give you your three wishes. Folks, that's just not the way it works. God is sovereign, and He's on the throne. And we submit and surrender to Him, to His authority, to do His agenda, to do His will. And then look at the example of Noah. Verse 7, By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, talking about the flood, in reverence, uh, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now think about faith. He had never seen rain. He lived 500 miles from the nearest body of water. He must have looked like an absolute nut in his generation. He builds this boat. That's two football fields long, a football field wide, four stories high. And it took him a hundred years to build it. But notice it says, by faith being warned of God about things not yet seen, in reverence. In other words, he bowed the knee to God. And he said, well, God, although I haven't seen it, if you said it's coming, it's coming. And Lord, you've told me how to get ready by preparing the ark. And by golly, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to step out in trust, and I'm going to obey you. Although I don't understand everything, I can't see everything, but I'm going to believe on you. So what do we learn about faith with Noah? Again, let's, let's just get it down to its essence. There in your notes, I count on God to keep His Word. We're back to confidence that God rewards. So in these three first examples, it's so simplistically beautiful. Faith worships on God's terms. Faith walks for God's pleasure. And faith works to accomplish God's will. So the question as we conclude today is, how about you? Are you expressing faith in God? Confidence in the unseen that He will fulfill His promises in your life? Or are you shrinking back in unbelief at crunch time, in the middle of the trial, 
when it's so hard, when it's so difficult. And I trust this message encourages you not to fall apart in the middle of that trial, not to fall apart in that waiting period, but to know that God is a God of integrity. He'll be true to His promises, and you can place your confidence in Him, knowing that He is at work in your life now, and He will continue to be at work, and He will be faithful. Faithful is He who promised, who what? Also will do it. So I trust that we're stepping to the plate. And if God were uh, writing a contemporary hall of fame of faith, that our names would be included as those who put their faith in Him. Father, thank You. I, I trust for the simplicity of this message on faiths. Uh, Lord, we admit so often we uh, try to make things so complicated, uh, but Lord, this is not complicated. Uh, faith is nothing more than placing our confidence in You, fully assured that what You promised You're able to perform. It's looking to the unseen. It's hoping for and seeing what we may not see right at this moment. And that's the fulfillment of Your promise, but knowing that it's got to be around the corner because you're a God of integrity that will always stay true to your word. And we realize that without faith, it's impossible to please you. So, Father, give us the grace as your people to come to you on your terms like Abel did. Lord, give us the grace to believe you're there to believe you're real like Enoch did, which enabled him to stand alone, totally alone, in the middle of a wicked, perverse generation and proclaim your righteousness and your truth. And then, Lord, give us the grace um, to have the confidence uh, and to count on you to keep your word, that you will reward our faith like Noah demonstrated when he worked those hundred years to do your will, uh, although he didn't understand everything. And he was looking to those unseen realities. Give us that faith. So, Lord, may we be those that please you through our faith, not those who, like the children of Israel, shrink back at Kadesh Barnea and miss the blessings you would have intended to give us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.